Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing all the news out of First Contact Day and the whole fandom anniversary phenomena. I like to say the word phenomena. Of course, it's such a great word. Happy belated First Contact Day. I know it's a holiday you take very seriously. It's it absolutely is. It's it's super important to me. Every year we have first contact cake. Isn't it like a first contact Balloons. day salmon? Isn't that the the line in in lower decks? Wait, wait. They also definitely drink tequila shots. Oh, they in do. The so I think we should go with that. I would be pretty okay with a holiday that's just eating salmon and drinking tequila shots. And I know, I know you don't like, eat we, meat. I'll have your salmon. We just we just made it way better. I yeah. think I think we created a really good first contact day. Just here, spitballing. I, I agree. I think as usual we have taken Star Trek and made it better. But so I uh, told my daughter about first contact day and that we would be alive, you know, mm. conceivably. She has a very good chance of being alive when First Contact Day comes around according to the timeline set up by the First Contact film. Yes. Obviously, the Star Trek timeline has already been destroyed like a hundred times because Khan didn't appear in the 90s, so. Yeah, but, but I think we're on course for total devastation. And, uh, and she asked me, you know, very seriously, if I wanted to be a part of, you know, meeting the aliens. And, and I explained that when I was very small, a very small, just new to Star Trek little girl who mm. fell in love with Spock, my goal in life was to marry a Vulcan. Or if not a Vulcan, at least an alien. Any alien would do. But especially a Romulan if you can't have but a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> And so, of course, I am very ready to meet any aliens who want to come. Come on down. I will give you tequila and salmon. <laughs> First Contact Day sort of came out of nowhere as this corporate <laughs> festival thing that Star Trek does. And they've used it this year as an opportunity to drop a whole lot of news so we're going to go through that and we're going to talk about the news of the trailers and uh, an awful interview that Akiva Goldsman gave to Hollywood Reporter. And then we're going to talk about fake fandom holidays. Because that's of how I there feel. there are so many. <laughs> you made a list and I was reading down with absolute horror. Like, this is too many guys. <laughs> that's, that's not even, like, all... Like, I edited the list that I found oh my. online because I was like... No, no. <laughs> so these are the ones that made it made it through my, you know, your personal screening process. Yes. Wow. Well, the first bit of news to come out is that with Creation having lost the license for the official Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, uh, it's now with a different company and it's going to be moving around the United States and held at a different time of year. And I am so excited that it will be in Chicago next year in April. I still won't be able to attend because I won't be vaccinated, but it's a, it's a time of year I could plausibly get off work and I love it's Chicago. Very, 
Very, very, very exciting. Yes. So it's Read Pop is the new. Mm. They also do New York Comic Con and Star Trek Star Trek celebration. Star so, Wars celebration. Oh, that's interesting because I've always heard good things coming out of that. And you know, the official conventions can be a little bloodless, but celebration sounds really fun. Celebration sounds really fun. I have always wanted to go, and the closest I ever got was when it was in Chicago. Well, it's just such a great <laughs> so, city. I am super looking forward to this. Again, Chicago is close enough to me that I can take a very short train or plane or even just drive myself oh, wow. if I you know, felt up to it. There's a, a wide swath of affordability, yeah. whereas Vegas is very not. <laughs> Vegas is, is like both super cheap and like ridiculously expensive at the same time. It's really, a, a, I don't believe in Vegas sometimes. It's just very, very strange place. CSI tells me that there are people that live there and have normal yeah. lives, but it's not a city that I would fly around the world to visit. Whereas Chicago, yeah. under normal circumstances, I could get on a Qantas flight and after an ungodly number of hours, land in Chicago without stopping. So Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. So, and if it's going to move around like Star Wars Celebration does, that's great because then it'll be like closer to different people at different times. So everybody gets that opportunity for it to be within their reach yeah yeah and if they want to come to australia and they won't because we're a very expensive place to hold a convention but i think melbourne is a really wonderful city you should you should come here i wanted to come to australia you know. one day when people are allowed to travel and if australia is ever vaccinated uh at this point <laughs> i think we're looking at the end of next year to have the whole population time oh i'm sorry where my my tiny little state is doing very well in in vaccination i feel very like proud Biden of us. came in and suddenly it all snapped into something approaching functionality yeah, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Like we're not we're not even reaching for the stars of actually functioning. Just the allure, the illusion of functionality is is so much better. <laughs> so Well, I for one uh, cannot wait for the Star Trek convention to hit your state. There is the convention center. It's ready. See? See, they have no and you know excuse. what? There is a science museum right across the street. They share their parking garage, the convention center, oh. and the science museum. So I think that's where definitely a Star Trek convention should go. It could take over both spots. It yes. would be great. I'm going to start pitching this. <laughs> I have some friends who have people who know people at Read Pop. <laughs> and I'm going to start my campaign right now. We got another look at Star Trek Prodigy, the first Star Trek series explicitly aimed at young audiences. And specifically, we learned that Janeway is going to be really, really long. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly very stylized. Yeah, I overall like the art style. I'm just, I have some feelings about taking a woman who is, she was by no means overweight when she filmed Voyager, but Kate Mulgrew is a small, stocky sort of woman. She's tall, and I mm. 
And, and so making her very, very tall and inhumanly slender. I, I just feel like, is that really the way to go when she could be stylized in a slightly different direction? But I love the concept. I love all the other characters' designs. I feel like Janeway's face is great. And I'm really keen for Prodigy. So bright and colorful. And I just have a lot of warm feelings about Prodigy. It just sounds like it's going to be very fun. Like just just fun and, and hopeful. And I don't know. Like there's this really Star Trek at its core kind of feeling yeah. to it that they strip away all of the you don't have to be dark and adult and and have important plots like game of thrones mm. which is like about a bunch of people fighting in dragons so that's not important guys but whatever i definitely feel like we have enough star trek now that every every show can do its own thing and i am really glad to have one that is going to be appropriate for people to watch with their kids or for kids to watch unsupervised uh, mm -hmm. and I really like the idea of coming out of the ashes of 2020 a story about young people learning how to build a functional society I think that's very topical that sounds very exciting and again it just seems like a breath of fresh air and yeah I'm, I'm really I'm really hopeful for it and I'm the I really think that I really love the art Same. and so I'm not, you know, I'm picky about this. I do. But it's so pretty. It's so much prettier than Lower Decks and Lower Decks ended up being much prettier than I expected. So they each have the style that their stories need, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. I don't, I don't think that Lower Decks would work as well if it, if it was prettier. <laughs> But, no, no. But it's not like I was worried that it was going to be the really uh, like single shaded. <laughs> like I can't explain, but because I I am not an artist, but but closer in style to Steven Universe than to yeah Disney. Yeah, no, I was I was concerned about that too. So I was pleasantly surprised and Prodigy just looks super pretty. Like, and you're right. Like, absolutely. Janeway's legs are as long as her body. <laughs> like <I've>, there's, yeah, <laughs> her legs take up most of herself, but <laughs> I saw the picture with her, like we'd seen the picture of the, the crew of yeah, the kids yeah. and then we saw her and then I saw them put together and it, it made sense. Like it was like, oh, okay, I get it. That's that's true. And it's not actually Janeway, it's a Janeway hologram. No, so no. You can like think of the headcanon of Janeway was like, hey, so make me tall. I <laughs> my headcanon is that this emergency training hologram was created by the doctor, and this is sort of his revenge on Janeway for the the slowness with which she understood his personhood. Like <laughs> I have to admit like the premise was that a bunch of kids would find a derelict federation starship and learn about the federation and i assumed that from that that janeway would be an ai and this was set in the 32nd century where we know that there are heaps and heaps of derelict federation ships around and it would oh, be yeah sort of a kiddie voyager about these teenagers finding the federation so i was surprised to learn that it's actually set in the Delta Quadrant, but I'm also super keen for a story about new Delta Quadrant races and all of that, but also sort of revisiting 
the places yeah. that Voyager just zoomed through and didn't really touch. Building up on those things. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So that's exciting. And now that Paramount Plus, now that CBS All Access is Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon is going to be very easily accessible for me. <laughs> so thanks for that, Viacom. Yeah, the announcement a few months ago that they're going to be doing like a whole new series of Avatar cartoons. I just want to thank our evil overlords. <laughs> I realize that they do this sort of thing because basically their only franchises are the Good Wife universe and Star Trek and Avatar. But I'm pretty okay with that. <laughs> the Good Wife universe. What else do you call I, I, it? No, there are. There are. There are two. You're right. It is absolutely the Good Wife universe. It's just such a hilarious, like, why, of all the things in the world, why would you build around the Good Wife? I know. It's it, the Christine Baranski <laughs> t cinematic universe. Takes place in Chicago. It's true. And then a new movie was announced. I always get a bit wary when a movie has a release date and no other information. <laughs> Untitled Star Trek movie. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is probably the one by, uh, written by, oh no, I've forgotten her name, but she is a woman of colour. She wrote Terra Firma Part 2 and the short Trek Ask Not. And in general, her work for Star Trek has been consistently good. And... Mm -hmm. From the little she said at the announcement of her involvement in a movie, it sounds like it may not even... We don't know whether or not it's in the Kelvin universe or the Prime universe, but it may not even involve television characters we're familiar with. What? I know! What a crazy idea! I would be totally up for that, Kelvin or Prime. Even both. Like, she, she wrote Terra Firma. We know she has some experience with a multiverse and so if if this is the movie being discussed i'm cautiously optimistic i was recently on the promenade merchants star trek podcast to talk about svu yes because that makes sense to me ah i bring i bring svu everywhere so uh, that's gonna be my new goal to talk about svu on as many star trek podcasts as possible <laughs> so anybody out there is listening i'm ready i believe in no, you no but so i listened to their rundown of the first contact events and heather pointed out that you know like star trek discovery has jason isaacs and michelle yo in it so mm -hmm. It's not impossible <laughs> that it would be centered on those characters or, you know, something adjacent because like before it was, you have to have Captain Kirk, like you have to have some, someone recognizable from Star Trek, mm. but now they have like big actors in their TV series. So yeah. they can have, they can have those big actors transition or as you were saying, they can have a completely new thing and you and get big actors for that. Like there there are just many more possibilities. I feel like people are are more engaged with the idea that there's a lot of Star Trek and it doesn't have to be like there are gonna be thousands of people who are angry. Oh if it's yeah. not Kelvin or Deep Space Nine season eight or mm. like whatever. There's there's hundreds of things that it's not going to be that people are going to be upset about. But I think that at the end of the day, they're still all going to go see that movie. <laughs> like, yeah, 
I just I just think that we are now primed for Star Trek in a way that we weren't even when 2009 came out like it needed to be Captain Kirk for that movie to to jump absolutely start the, and now the franchise is like that movie did jumpstart the franchise and now it's everywhere so right and the same way Discovery needed to be a prequel and Michael needed to be Spock's sister because we did need a level of familiarity to ease right. the audience back in you consider how how long it took for TNG to find its way like and yes the first season was terrible but it's also that the audience was really hostile to these characters and so I do think there is a lot of value in starting off with familiar characters and settings and you know discovery was followed by picard and then expanding outwards and if if, if this was a movie that even featured in a cameo uh kelvin verse Lorca and jojo like <laughs> can you imagine give us kelvin verse michael <laughs> sonequa martin green can do a cameo It'd be so good. I mean, like, I would, you know, I, you know me, I have been very much on board with the Spock brings Uhura home to meet his sister <laughs> or, or they go to her ship. I'm going to, you know, Michael's yes, totally yeah. captaining a ship yeah. over in Kelvinverse. I've decided. And like, that would be just that tiny, it, it, the entire story could be about other people who I have not even met yet. And if it had that scene, I would be like, favorite movie. Mm. We're ready. Mm. And, and she doesn't even need to be Spock's sister in the Kelvin universe. I, I feel like Kelvin versus Spock is very much an only child. Cousins. But... Like, oh. you know, they grew up together. Like, not actual cousins, but, like, they they were schoolmates and they were both, like, he wasn't fully Vulcan and mm. she was, mm. wasn't, like, she was too Vulcan-y, <laughs> like, for the humans. And so they were misfits who became right, good right. friends maybe their mothers were friends so i'm super re ready for a multiverse movie if we're gonna have a multiverse in everywhere might as yeah. well have have one here too bring it on in i'm ready i feel like star trek invented the multiverse with mirror mirror way back in 67 and it's time to claim the concept as rightfully ours but also yeah, I feel like a few years ago it would have been unfeasible to have a blockbuster film about a multiverse in an established canon, but the MCU is setting it up and that brings the concept into the mainstream. And sure, people were going to complain that Star Trek is copying the MCU, but we did it first, guys. But then you can, you can, exactly, you can just shoot right back that actually. Yeah, yeah. Here's you, copying Star Trek, so. Yeah. Let me introduce you to yesterday's Enterprise. There are so many multi-universe and time travel stories in science fiction. It's ridiculous to even have this argument. <laughs> That too. <laughs> like there's, it's just silly. It's just everybody. Yeah, we're if we're telling a science fiction story, there is a a better than average chance that there is going to be time travel or space travel or androids or wizards or dinosaurs. Like these are things that those. That's what makes it a science fiction story. Right, and it also doesn't need those things, but it's not like they're suddenly out of place. Yeah, they would be out of place in SVU. Yes. 
<laughs> then we had uh, some trailers. We had a teaser for season two. It was... Of Picard. You didn't say of Picard. Oh, oh. Season two of Picard. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Uh, I was just underwhelmed and, and thus lost the capacity for speech. Yeah. So you were... I don't even know if... Was it any of this on... Like, were you asleep for all of the First uh, Contact, like, live events? Mostly, yeah. Like, I, I woke up... I feel like up... they were in the middle of the day. So yeah, that's yeah. not when you're... I woke up and saw the teaser. And I should never judge things on how I feel about them as soon as I wake up, because I'm always cranky. But hmm. I woke up to the teaser, and then by the time I had arrived at work, the Discovery trailer was out. In fact, I think it came out just before I left. It was Tuesday, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I was working. I was working from home, but I was still working. Right. So I did not see everything. And I did, I, I'm i a bad Trekkie. I didn't go and watch it on Paramount Plus afterwards. Because I felt like I'd absorbed enough. No, having same. Having it sort of in the background with me. And then also like taking the time to watch the teasers and the trailers but like they had this uh, adorable uh, first contact panel that was just about the movie. Basically, Aww. it was like memories of the movie. It was very cute, though. It was very like they had um, Alice Creed on, and she first of all has an amazing accent. I just like she could read literally anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready. But but also like they were just so happy to be have been involved in this. Oh, movie that's and that nice. it was like and that it's remembered so fondly and that it's like the the best first you know the best TNG movie and that it, it changed the way the the Borg were seen and like you know Voyager couldn't happen without that right. so it was just they were so happy and there was like you know peeking in on old friends sort of who got together after not having seen each other in a few years so like tell stories about the good old days <laughs> so so i felt like i was like you know what nothing is really gonna top that mm. in terms of because i find a lot of those panels i love the virtual panels and i think they should continue doing them for all of the reasons i've said before that we just we want it i want it to be accessible to as many people as possible right and so if you're going to have something live and in person, you should also have have it be streams because we have that technology and it's just, if you want to build the Star Trek future, that's where you start. Yes. You start by giving free access to Star Trek stuff. Really, people don't need to be taking shuttlecrafts to conferences in the 24th century because they should all be able to do it via Zoom. All right. Space Zoom. That said... I they're sort of hit and miss. There's, some of them are very endearing, like the one I just described, and then others are just sort of silly, or it's just presenting the information, like, "Hey guys, we're we're gonna do a big." And this actually reminds me of the really big conventions. Like I went to New York Comic Con and I got a ticket to the Agents of Shield panel, and you had mm -hmm. to wait in line for this, and it was like a big, huge deal. And I skipped out on getting a photo op with Jennifer Morrison, Emma Swan, yes. while I was dressed as a Once Upon a Time character to go to this panel because I got the, you know, 
the wristbands and I was like, I waited for like whatever long time yep. and it's just a photo and I'd have to pay and whatever. And so I did that. I went to the, and I had a actually really good seat because I was by myself, so I could get pretty close. Yeah. But the panel, quote unquote panel, was literally just Bill Coulson, that actor, I've mm. forgotten him. Quite great. Bill Coulson, Jennifer Grey's uh, husband, <laughs> comes out on stage and like says, who wants to see the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that's going to be showing in two days today. And everyone screamed, and then that's what we did. And I was like... That's it? It would have been way more worth my time to go have a picture with Jennifer Morrison. But... Yeah. So, you know, so sometimes it doesn't work out, is what I'm saying. In person or virtual, sometimes it's just not... It's not great. And so I felt like I was following along on Twitter. I had it on the background for some of the time... And I watched the the like new product, um, but I didn't spend too much time. I, oh, the another one that I saw live was the the production people, and, and this is another one. Gershon Phillips can just talk about literally anything to do with costuming, and I like it's like a masterclass just to listen to her. Yes. So her interview with Women at Warp is outstanding. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm not saying you need to drop us and go listen to another podcast, but listen to that <laughs> no, episode, if nothing else. At the end. Yeah. At the end of this one. Yeah. You can go listen to that one. So I didn't, like, spend too much time watching old stuff. But I did feel like I was a part of things, even mm. though it was Tuesday, and that was weird. <laughs> I think it'll make more sense when it's at the convention weekend and there's like virtual stuff and non-virtual stuff, but it'll be a, at least a weekend. Not that people don't work on the weekend because plenty of people do. There's more of a sense of camaraderie and having an event and all of mm -hmm. that. And yeah, it's, it's difficult. Oh, so yes. <laughs> I've been talking for 20 minutes and I didn't get to the point. <laughs> the reason I started explaining all of this is that you were saying that you were underwhelmed by the Picard teaser. Oh, and yeah, so I was. I was saying that I heard about it on Twitter. Like, I was spoiled for the Q's return mm. and even the card and, like, everything before I actually saw the teaser because that happened before I came in um, yeah. to watch, like, to start watching things. You know, so I, like, put that all in the back burner and I didn't watch the teaser until you know, much later, instead of having to watch it on my laptop, which can go to StarTrek.com, I could put it up on my television because it was on YouTube by then, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and so I was underwhelmed by, like, the concept of the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was underwhelmed by the trailer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, harsh, but yeah, yeah. And I just think, obviously, they didn't have enough footage to actually pull together yeah. a coherent trailer but it's purely just Picard and a pompous voiceover and some very interesting props and then woohoo a character that Liz hates is coming back. I'm gonna let you like talk about the the article because I'm really ready for that. Oh but... god. So what I got out of this it was a teaser it wasn't supposed it was like honestly it was more 
stuff than you would even get out of like most teasers. Right. So I don't like Q either. I could take him or leave him generally. Like I'm mostly sort of neutral to annoyed. Yeah, that's about my feelings. My personal opinion is that the best Q episodes are found in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. (laughs) (laughs) So you should go watch those. Yes. So I don't really care about Q at all, but the concept of Q's trial, which was the pilot and the series finale of the next generation yes it's sort of like okay what what i'm getting out of that is that this is we're we're coming to the end of this story Mm. and that is picard's story i mean it's called star trek picard right right but he's the main character in the pilot and in the finale he's the one who's traveling through time with q he's the one that q has like almost tells him the secrets of the universe because he respects Picard more than any other human. Yeah. Like he has that relationship. So it sort of it makes a certain amount of sense to come back to that for what I'm going to say is the final chapter. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. For it to go on after have bringing bringing Q in, then that wouldn't make any sense at all to me. It's like you are telling, like, the narrative makes sense if you bring Q in and you have a nice little send-off for Picard and it's it's done. So you think that this is the, the final season and there won't be a season three? Yeah, I think if there's a season three, it'll be named something else. Oh, that's interesting. And I can actually see that because, you know, so Pat Stew was pretty old. They had to hold off filming until he specifically could be vaccinated. And... They have definitely put a lot of work into building up a really good ensemble that almost seems to be held back by the need to be in a Picard story. Right. We've talked about this. Yeah, at length. Other characters got forgotten. Literally. (laughs) They just completely got put off the grid. So, but I guess what we're getting out of the teaser is time or very possibly that time travel and timeline stuff. Maybe the movie is a continuation of Picard. Maybe (laughs) what we're going to get is that the Section 31 series is Michelle Yeoh and Patrick Stewart hopping through the multiverse and time travelling. And sometimes there's Q. This seems as reasonable a prediction as anything else. I'm ready for it. I know, I know. it's interesting that you suggest this, though, because in the interview that we're going to rant about, uh, Akiva Goldsman is asked if seasons two and three will be filmed back to back as originally announced. And he's like, I can't discuss that. And yeah. I took that to mean season three is up in the air because of COVID. But right. maybe it's that and also they're preparing to wrap up the Picard side of this series and relaunch it as Star Trek La Serena. Which I'm all for. I, I don't think 100%. that it's a, If it's a spin-off, like you can call it a spin-off, but it sure. would still be the same show. It just wouldn't have Picard. Like, and so therefore it would need a different name. But it's, 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 it would still be a continuation. Um, 
but in many ways, you know, the the TNG to Deep Space Nine to Voyager, like that was a continuation, even though they were all different shows. Right, right. They all had the Marquis story. They all were set in the same timeline and to a greater and lesser extent were accepted, affected by the same political subplots. I think this is a really interesting concept and I kind of hope you're right. I, I just think that we, like, as we were talking at the beginning, her saying that in, you know, in the movie conversation mm. that at a certain point we're at 55, we're at year 55 here. There is enough universe mm. that you shouldn't have to, like, you just, you don't have to follow all the rules. You don't have to have a seven seasons for in order for it to be a successful show. Right. Yes. Star Trek Picard could be a really good show with two seasons, or it could be, you know, way past information and like you know i love patrick stewart he's like 80 something right he is about the same age as my grandmother who just died of old age we can't be you know planning out many many seasons of something and then not being able to do it yeah because our star is 80 something (laughs) right and it's it's not even that he could die it's just that he Maybe right. he doesn't want to do it anymore. Right. And what if he gets sick? What if he injures himself and has a long recuperation period? Now that we're talking about it, I'm suddenly quite sure that they do do have, like, exit strategies in their pocket narratively mm-hmm. for if Sir Pat Stew was suddenly unable to do the series. Or maybe it's just covered by insurance. Who knows? James McAvoy. Ah, see, I really like the idea of Arthur Darville from Doctor Who as a young Picard. He he just Aww. he has the nose and he has, uh, the sort of English gentleman action hero quality. And I, I don't know, he has a full head of hair, but I look at him and I see a receding hairline. Anyway, I am okay with Q if it is used well. I really like All Good Things. Like, yes, All Good same. Things is a great episode and it uses Q not as a joke, but yeah. as a foil. And you're and... right. I generally don't like Q, but I love All Good Things and I love the serious business Q episodes. Yeah. Q can, like, and it is really, like, I, I'm always, like, that one moment in All Good Things at the very end, right before he goes back to his regular time, mm. and it's just the two of them in the trial, and he, like, leans in like he's going to tell him something and mm. then, you know, pulls back. And it's like, I can imagine Star Trek Picard ending with Picard joining Q, like, going off <laughs> into the sunset Okay. To learn Q stuff, you know, like I and and then we never hear from them again because they've gone on to the next plane of existence or whatever. But I really like, like that because you know, it's always bugged me that Cisco, as the first black captain, is the guy who goes off to another plane of existence and never comes back, <laughs> and yeah. Michael Burnham goes into the future and never comes back. And so, first, it's a fitting and logical end for Picard who is very much an exemplar of humanity and has this personal connection with Q. And 
normally I dislike an ending where a character becomes a god. Like, I truly, truly hate season seven of Deep, Deep Space Nine. And I hate uh, endings for Doctor Who where the character literally, a ca- the companion literally becomes a Time Lord. Like, mm-hmm. it sort of loses what is important about that character. But it works for Picard. And especially if this is, this is what happens instead of his dying of old age. Because the other thing that Akiva Goldsman says, and this really pissed both of us off, we spent a morning <laughs> shouting about it, was that they're just not going to deal with uh, Picard having an android body. It's just not a thing. You do, so don't do that. I know. So, so don't don't make him an android. Like it would be so easy to not do that. This is a choice you guys made. You didn't have to do it if you didn't want to deal with it. Just guys, if and if you want to tell the story of Picard's final years and and again, I don't I don't want to watch Picard die. No, like, no. I don't. I didn't. I didn't want to watch Picard fake die. No, so, that was terrible. Like it was great. I definitely but... don't want that. I want him to. I want to believe in this reality with Q, where he can just go live forever doing his thing mm. and become something else or become a part of space or I don't know what like I wouldn't I I understand what you're saying about the the people becoming gods but I really do think that like Picard is a good person for it and no I agree you is the right mechanism vessel. like so so it, I just think that that could be a really great send-off for Picard where his journey would continue but we would we wouldn't see it anymore. We would be telling the stories of the people he left behind, which is an amazing story. I know. Like, what if we don't see Beverly until Picard has gone and she is she wants to make contact with the people who were with him in his final years? You know, that's amazing. Right. It's heartbreaking. Right. Also, this ending would make the Picard Q shippers so happy. Like, <laughs> I, I want this for them. And all of the people who are so angry about Picard Q shippers. Yes. It would just be a slap in their face. There you go. 100%. Because now I'm thinking of Bill from Doctor Who and how her ending sees her become a Cyberman and then being rescued from that and travelling through space with her girlfriend who is like a sen- She's not literally a sentient puddle, but she too has transcended humanity. <laughs> and... You know, I, I just like Picard and Bill and Q and Bill's puddle <laughs> girlfriend, Heather, double dating. Man, now that you've brought up Beverly, I like, I absolutely want a limited series of just Beverly dealing with the fact that literally everyone in her life just leaves. <laughs> like, her not boyfriend <laughs> and her son have both transcended this plane of existence. <laughs> Like what is what is happening? It's like you start to like sniff your armpits on a cosmic level. <laughs> yeah, because that's in in her best episode. Remember me? Like that's what happens. It's her biggest fear. Yes, it's gonna be so good. Oh like, my gosh! Even, even if none of this happens, <laughs> we should write it because it'll be at least a really good fan. My throat has gotten really tight just thinking about everyone in Beverly's life leaving her alone. Like, it is so sad. I love but it. We just made Beverly more awesome than 
Next Generation ever did. <laughs> like, they didn't know how to give her that story. No, it's not. Like, no. guys, it's right there. <laughs> it is so obvious a storyline, and they just don't see it. No, no. Okay, okay. The problem I have with all of this is that we've had such brilliant ideas and I know. <laughs> everything I know about Akiva Goldsman as a writer and a producer is that what we get is going to be really mediocre. I know, it's so sad because now this plot line that it was sort of lukewarm about, I'm like kind of excited for. Yeah. And yet it's going to be completely not written by me <laughs> and so it's not gonna be this it's, and that doesn't mean that it's gonna be bad but i've set myself up for disappointment there is a consistent through line from the very beginning of discovery where the more involvement goldsman has the less i enjoy the work you know he co-wrote mm -hmm. the season one finale of discovery he mm -hmm. did a lot of writing on season two he did he was the executive producer on Picard? He is not involved with Discovery after season two, and look how great it was. Mm -hmm. And it's like, generally speaking, like I realize that he and Alex Kurtzman have collaborated for a very long time, and Kurtzman has produced as much as, if not more, mediocrity that, uh, as as Goldsman. <laughs> I also confuse them a lot because, like. I know. There's both. There's an AK in both of their names, and they they end with men. And they're and men. Yeah. They're men. They're... Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I do get them mixed up a lot. But when I go back and look, Goldsman is more disappointing than Kurtzman. The issue with, you know, not to harp on Goldsman, but I that article really, it was like I'm going to tell you exactly why I shouldn't have this job. <laughs> Yes, yes. Because, because he said, they say, you know, what have you learned from, from the first season of Picard? You know, what's a lesson that you learned? And he said, I have to plot the ending. Yeah, and it's like, you have been working in Yo. Hollywood for many decades and you've only just learned this? Like, yeah, you do. You have to plot the ending. And I think this is a Chabon problem as well, because a novelist can start a work and not know where the ending is. It's just that then it goes, you know, you can go back and rewrite your draft and then it goes to an editor. and it... You can take years. Yes. <laughs> if you're writing a novel, you can take however long you want. Yeah. Even if you have a deadline. Like, right. It's very different. Whereas television, it's like, hey, guys, it's the next week. Yeah. Tell us the story. And it's not like I cannot believe that anyone in this day and age would expect to be writing a show that that you wouldn't know what's going like that happened in the 90s. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You but didn't know, you didn't know what was going to happen. But Goldsman worked on Fringe and I'm pretty yeah. sure he was involved <laughs> with Lost, which is the quintessential. Right. You have to know how you're ending before you start. And like, mate. This is amateur hour. And I say this as an amateur. As an amateur. <laughs> I know. I think it's it's below amateur hour because I know, I personally know people who spend, you know, who, who do all of the research before mm. they even start writing the first chapter. Like they have the whole thing. If you're, it, uh, yeah, 
not if you're doing a, a story like you said that you don't know that you're just sort of playing in the playground mm. of this story like that's a different animal but if you're telling a story from start to finish which a season of television is because that's what the me- that's the medium that's the media of television mm. Even if I'm starting a work of fan fiction, I have a pretty good idea of where I want it to end and where I want all the pieces to be in the conclusion. And I may not know how to get there and the road may change along the way and I might realise that the ending I had intended is not the ending for this story. But I'm working towards a goal and I know what that goal is. And even if you are writing as you go Mm. and you don't know how it's going to happen you have to pay attention to what you're writing you can't like start a thread and then it it just never nothing ever happens with that where is elnor's cat where is elnor's cat exactly Mm. it would be so simple to give elnor a, a cat in a montage at the end like right they literally have a cat on the show where did Nerek go? We don't know. Yeah. Why does why does Soji have like two lines in the last three episodes? We don't know. What what do any of these people like? It's just really weird. The things that it, it ended with Picard and Gerardi on a ship alone, <laughs> and like, and then the whole Data thing, and it was clear to me that the Data thing was was the ending that they had planned. Like, yes, yes. That was what they had come up with, and they went backwards and forwards from this, like, we're going to have, we're going to introduce the idea of Data's daughters in the beginning, and then we're going to have him say goodbye to Data, because the, it not saying goodbye to Data has, like, held him back all these years, I guess. And that's great, but even if you're working towards this one scene, every other major character needs their own thread. Right. Again, they forgot about Narek. <laughs> like, it's it's so blatant. I know. It's I know. just very. We we just we didn't do this. And well, like, what about? And it is hilarious to me that Michael Chabon is still out there writing pages and pages of Romulan lore. I know because clearly, like, he <laughs> he didn't get to to get all that he wanted in. And, like, the Romulans, like, it's not even just Narek who disappears. The Romulans as a whole, like, they show up and they're going to attack and then they don't. And then they're done. We have these <laughs> early episodes with Laris and Shaban and then they're gone and no one ever mentions them again. And we have the secret, secret, secret Romulans, but <laughs> then they turn up with a fleet and we don't even learn about the other Romulans on the Borg cube. And all this time I have blamed Chabon and obviously now, I, you know. <laughs> I just think that maybe with a more skilled producer than Goldsman, he would have told a better story because I, you can tell from his fan fiction that he really, really loved the Romulans. And I'm actually wondering if maybe he wanted to tell a Romulan story and Goldsman had this data story in mind and they could have been combined but it was just never quite meshed it it like they tried there is it's there it is combined it is Mm. the same story Mm. but I mean it's just it's my issue is data data didn't need to be in that story at all like I guess 
that Picard needed. Why though? When has Picard ever needed a reason to go on an adventure? Right. And I completely buy that he is very sad even many years later that Data died suddenly in an explosion and no one got a chance to say goodbye. But I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure there is literally a Next Generation episode where they all think Data is dead and they couldn't say goodbye. And I just feel like it needed something a little more. Like, I wish Data's presence had been about him connecting with Soji and giving oh his gosh. blessing to this family of offspring that were created without his knowledge or consent. Giving her guidance to pass along to her android siblings on how to be good people, because obviously Maddox and yeah. Sung never bothered. Right. If they were going to have this whole, like, Data is in the end and mm. like yeah why why isn't he the one to reach soji why does it have to be picard right like, and i don't know like we could have so had weird. both of these scenes like picard and data and soji and data but they forgot that soji was the pro was a protagonist <laughs> the female lead so yeah so yes yes everyone out there plot the ending Good plan. Yeah. You don't need to outline every single beat between beginning and end. If No, actually, in television, you do. This is, again, why I think a novelist was the wrong person to write this story. Uh, but if you are a novelist and you're writing fiction, you definitely don't need to plot every beat, but you should have an ending vaguely in mind. Even it's just if you want to get to the point of, and they all lived happily ever after. Anyway. Anyway. <sighs> I liked the Discovery trailer. Discovery trailer was exciting. We got no information whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, we know that there is some kind of gravity thing affecting the whole galaxy because Discovery oh, yeah. is incapable of telling small stories. <laughs> but we finally saw the President of the Federation and she's half Cardassian, half human, and I love her. We saw the, the Navarro president again, and I basically ship the Federation president <laughs> with everyone. I ship her with the Navarro president. I ship her with Admiral Vance. Some yes, other characters yeah. were in this trailer as well. I guess. No, Ga Gabrielle was in this oh, trailer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it looks like uh, Michael and Tilly are going on some kind yeah. of sword adventure with the Kawat Malat, and I'm. <laughs> what better way to hang out with your best friend? <laughs> Here for it. Yeah, yeah. I was really, really happy to see her in the trailer because I really do see a through line of motherhood in Discovery stories. 100%. So I'm glad that they are continuing that. And, you know, Michael should just get as many mothers as mm. she wants. Mm. Uh, having lost Shorjo, what if the Navarran president and the Federation president adopt Michael. Aww. She's got an opening. They can compete for her daughterly love. <laughs> I mean, the, the Vulcan Navarre, the Navarran president has a really good reason to. Yeah. Like, they are her family. Yeah, yeah. She, she is a lost Navarre. She is. In, but... in, in many ways. <laughs> and I wonder if Navarre and society, having reintegrated with the Romulans, 
is more open to having this emotional human as one of them. I would love to see how the Vulcan relationship with Michael has changed because now they are Romulo Vulcans. It would be like healing the wounds that were opened in the first season. Yeah. And like I was saying with the Q stuff, I really like it when they go back to storylines. Yes. But this is like, this is all related because that's what you get from like caring about what happens <laughs> to your characters. Yeah. Is that you start to see these through lines. You start to see that Beverly loses everybody and that Michael collects moms and that Picard likes going on adventures. And he likes hanging out with misfits. He always has. Right. So, so like, there's all these things that are there and you have to trust them. You have to trust your, that your audience is going to, like, follow along with you no matter what story you're telling. You don't have to have a sad scene with data mm. in order like, to, to sell your story. And I like, I'm harping on it and it's not fair because many, many people love that scene and love Picard and love data. And I am not in I, any way invalidating that because they, those are all like everyone should every, if you're a data fan and that scene made you cry, I am here for you. Like I'm so happy. <laughs> I absolutely loved that scene. I just think that should not have been data's only interaction he wasn't even data like he didn't feel like it was i don't know it was just yeah. weird it was weird and it seemed like they were telling a story of picard saying goodbye but data was doing the goodbye saying and i didn't understand yeah yeah i feel like they wanted to tell a story about accepting and the end of life but then they put him in an android body and they're not going to talk <laughs> about that they could put him in an android body so that so that they could kill him off but also not kill him off like that's what to me it was another one of those we need stakes so we got to kill off picard and it's like or you don't have to kill off picard and i what i said in our discord is that if you wanted to have the putting a human soul into the android body and see what happens hugh is right there yep save hugh Make him not dead and leave Picard as the old man so that you can continue telling the story about the end of life. Like, Yeah, yeah. I will say Goldsman says of the Q character and his return to Picard, we're now talking about the issues that come up in the last stage of your life. We wanted a Q that could play in that arena with God. Uh, with, with God. I meant Picard. That was not a Freudian <laughs> slip. But maybe I need more coffee. And so, yeah, yeah, maybe Picard is going to transcend or maybe Q is just going to make a lot of inappropriate jokes about the new android body that, anyway. Or seven of a nine. Oh. That's, that's the other reason that I'm mad about Q returning because his appearances in Voyager were so horrible. Actually, Death Wish was outstanding. His second two appearances in Voyager were so horrible and the final one was basically comedy sexual harassment of Seven. And, I, and no one wants that. No, no. No one. No one wants that. <laughs> don't, don't let it happen, guys. One of my problems with Q as a character is that he's fantastic with Picard and he's funny with a lot of other characters, but interacting with literally any woman other than Guinan, he turns into a misogynist. Like, he literally turns Beverly into a dog. Into a dog! <laughs> I can't, I can't, oh my god. Yeah. 
the worst. And I'm like, if you're so powerful and all-seeing and all-knowing, why are you such a dick? I mean, I guess it just comes down to men writing. Yeah. And not even men writing, but, like, men have been in charge of writing for so long that even women write like men. Right. If that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, I think when we do our deep dive into Jerry Taylor's work, we can talk about a lot of the sexism in her scripts. I definitely don't think she was in any way a misogynist, but I think she worked and grew up and lived in a misogynist society, as we all do, but she was not Mm -hmm. a person who really examined that. Or maybe I'll just do more reading and find out that I consider her feminism well-intentioned but outdated. Who knows? This isn't that episode. Anyway, so I'm excited for Discovery. It's coming this year. Yay. It's it's before Lower Decks, right? It's more Discovery or is Lower Decks? I don't even know. I don't remember if they've said, but I saw someone suggest that we could end up with like 52 consecutive weeks of Star Trek (laughs) or something like that. Yikes, guys. I'm just putting this out there. We will not be doing weekly episodes for every single series. Like, probably Discovery and Picard and maybe every two weeks for Prodigy and Lower Decks can have specials. We'll play it by ear, but I just I just need my weekends. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of Star Trek. And it's great. It's great that there is so much Star Trek and that there is a Star Trek for everyone. And I, I'm just going to reiterate because I just want... I'm just going to keep saying this until everyone agrees with me mm-hmm. that you, the point of having so much Star Trek is that there is a Star Trek out there that you will love. There's probably a Star Trek out there that you won't like, mm-hmm. but someone else will love. So let them love it. Watch the one you love and just let it happen. That is... It's okay. You don't, you don't have to watch and love every Star Trek. You're not going to. Like that no, is you're just no. it's at this point it's impossible. It's impossible to and watch all of Star Trek and love all of it. I promise Gene Roddenberry's ghost won't haunt you if you're not into every single aspect. Even Gene Roddenberry famously hated a lot of Star Trek. Like and I get it, I am still watching uh what is it, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh wow, you're brave. I gave up. And <laughs> It is, it is, I am not enjoying myself, but, but I am still watching because I am trying to understand (laughs) why people like it, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to like it. I'm trying to find something to like in it. That's the best way to put it. I realized that I was hate watching and I was like, there are better ways to spend a Friday night. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was persisting in watching it for much less good reasons than you. Much less positive reasons. That, uh, my point is just, there's so much Star Trek. There's going to be Star Trek every week, new Star Trek for you to watch. And that's something to celebrate. It is not something to fight over. Yes. Yeah. That's my point. No, I think... It only took me, you know, 500 words. <laughs> so we've been talking for over an hour. and This is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's just, my whole thesis on fandom holidays is that I find it weird when fandom creates something like May the 4th and then it's adopted by the corporate entity in mm. charge of the media. And I, I like it even less when the, the corporate entity imposes. Makes up. Yeah, yeah. 
imposes this holiday from the top down. And I understand it as a marketing strategy, and I think it's very clever, but it makes me feel manipulated. I get that. Yeah. And I see here your list includes May the 4th, which was a fandom thing based on the pun, and then Disney adopted it. And then yep. there's Revenge of the 5th and 6th and Padme, <laughs> which I think are fandom things. Okay, so Revenge on the 5th and 6th is definitely, Disney has not yet co-opted it, but it's like hilarious to me because they can't decide if they want it to be the 5th or the 6th. <laughs> so, so mostly people argue about, about you know, is it Revenge of the 5th or is it Revenge of the 6th? And that's just hilarious to me. So yes, those, and that's why they're like on the, you know, moved over side. Mm. Padme is something I... <laughs> me personally but i'm very excited that it has a fan lore page oh. I, I recently found this out because i was uh looking for my like my banners that i made for previous padmes and then i did a search and th the fan lore page came up and i was like wow i feel special so, so I, I didn't know that you created padme yeah, but i'm yes, deeply impressed because i was going to pitch a new fandom holiday cattober <gasps> or cattoberfest which i, I think cattoberfest is, it's where that we would work really wear well. tank tops and drink single malt and <laughs> No, but it, it would. Like, Cattoberfest is something that I can actually imagine, and it there would be a lot of Cat and Laurel fan yes. art of Cattoberfest, which I am all over. Yeah. So I don't know if there's, like, a way to start this, but it's April now. We've got time. I realized, I realized when everybody was, you know, arguing over Revenge of the Fifth and Sixth, May the Fourth has been around for long enough mm. that it's a big deal in Star Wars circles. And so I was trying to, like, create content for it and stuff. Uh, and then I was laughing at Revenge of the Fifth slash Sixth yes. and the arguments therein. And I realized that May was in Padme's name. <laughs> and so I just, I like made a Tumblr post that said, you guys gonna have May the 4th and Revenge of the 5th, but I'm gonna celebrate Padme. And I then, a year later, I decided to give myself 31 prompts to just, you know, do it. And other people joined in on, joined in with me. And now it's, we're in the fifth year and I have people signed up to like, Post things for Padme, and it's uh, the uh, the author of the Padme trilogy, E.K. Johnston. Oh, I love her. Totally requested to be tagged in any Padme uh, posts. So that's amazing. I feel, I feel very you know warm and fuzzy about it. So yeah, if you want to make Cattoberfest happen, you just have to get enough people to pay um, a little tiny bit of attention and keep going, like. You know, have have a few years. Yeah, okay. Look, I don't expect to be abandoning Cat anytime soon and we have a whole Discord of Cornwell fans and let's 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 do this thing. Uh, going down your list, you have N7, November 7, which is Mass Effect Day. Uh, so named because N7 is the classification for the type of marine that Shepard is. In the Mass yeah. Effect games. So I have played exactly zero hours of Mass Effect. <laughs> I didn't know any of that that you just said about Shepard. Mm -hmm. 
but I knew November 7th was a fandom holiday and I knew it was called N7 and I knew it was Mass Effect so I could look it up and right. like, I was like I'm pretty sure that's what this is and so I put it in there even though I know nothing about anything to do with it I like somehow peripherally celebrated N7 Day was already a thing by the time I played Mass Effect, so I don't know if it was originally a fandom thing, but Bioware will do sales on merch and all sorts of stuff. I assume that mm-hmm. there'll be... I think it was last year on N7 Day that they announced the remastered edition of the trilogy, which I'm very excited for because the first game really looks like it's filmed on a potato. And, uh, yeah, it's... I, I do think it's very fanishly driven, and I remember the two voice actors who played the male and female shepherd wish each other happy in seven day on Twitter every year, which is mm. nice. Uh, I think video game fandom can be different because, like, voice actors and so forth do get very much... become very involved in the fandom. And Yes. So it's not necessarily a corporate thing, but there's this semi-official quality to it. Mm, yeah, I can see that. And then there's almost a list of just dates mentioned in media. (laughs) Well, okay. So Mario Day is because March 10th is Mar 10 is Mario. Uh... I know. That's one of those like real stretches. But no, no, it's very close. That Cali Day just happened on, it was April 13th which is my daughter's birthday, mm. and Callie is no longer her most favorite Splatoon character, but her second favorite Splatoon <laughs> character, who she is cosplayed as in a like, full squid attire. Have I ever mentioned and... how much I like your daughter? She's yeah. just so cool. <laughs> She's pretty cool. But So it was kind of great that her birthday was a ridiculous, made-up Splatoon <laughs> holiday. It was much better than it being Thomas Jefferson's birthday, which is what she had before then. So, you know, because again, I said I screened all of these holidays for us. I can uh, do do pretty rapidly through the remainders and make fun of all of them because they're all ridiculous. But yes, (laughs) there are the ones that just sort of the Galentines and Festivus are things that are from television series that like people have started you know, co-opted for themselves. It bugs me that, oh, what's her face? The, the Amy Poehler. It bugs me that Amy mm-hmm. Poehler doesn't get credit for conceiving Galentine's Day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But, and then there's things like, so like the Hogwarts opening September 1st and Judgment Day are like important in their, like they happen in, mm. in the canon of the story. Yeah. And so... People, people celebrate that because they, they are just like super duper Harry Potter or I guess Terminator fans. Aren't we all? Celebrating Judgment Day seems like a bad idea, but well, uh, it's fine. Um, happy not getting blown up by AI Day? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yay! Uh, then it's like Hobbit Day is Tolkien's birthday and that's... Like, that's a lot like Star Trek Day. Star Trek Day is a thing. Yeah, yeah. In addition to First Contact Day, and it was, like, the day that Star Trek premiered. And so, like, those are just sort of, like, that is just not actually a holiday, guys. Like, no, no. Good uh, try, so... and you can, and it's something to celebrate, and I get it, and I understand why, like, I understand the marketing. I understand, especially in a smaller fandom or, like, in Star Trek, 
and arguably Lord of the Rings are kind of like huge fandoms, but they're also sort of weirdly niche. Yeah. So, so I understand why people want to do that, but they're just silly. But the most silly are the ones like Mean Girls Day, which is literally just when the hot guy asks Lindsay Lohan what day it is. And she says, it's October 3rd. And that's That's super cute. That's a holiday, guys. (laughs) All I know, like, I only ever know when that happens because the gif of the scene comes up on on Tumblr. And then Miss Congeniality, which is a wonderful movie that William Shatner is in. Yes, it's a great movie. So it's totally irrelevant. Probably his greatest film. His greatest film, absolutely. I agree. I love Miss Congeniality so much. And so one of the questions is, what would be your perfect date? And she answers April 25th. Not understanding the question at all. And so that is now, like, that is definitely the most ridiculous holiday. But I also, like really love it i love that that every year miss congeniality or mean girls gifts show up all over my timeline and everybody's talking about miss congeniality a movie from 20 years ago yeah that shouldn't have the same power it does but it's actually great (laughs) so i'm really happy for that and the one that's i think the most questionable is the November 5th. Yeah! Which is important to the United Kingdom as Guy Fox Night. Yes. And Guy Fox Night is just... Yeah, go on. It became popularized by the graphic novel and then movie V for Vendetta. Yes. And no one in America who like posts about remember remember the 5th of November on November 5th has any inclination to be celebrating Guy Fawkes. No. Like it's just not a thing. Guy Fawkes Day is just was conceived as like pure anti-Catholic propaganda and even the British should not be celebrating it. That's my (laughs) hot take. Yeah no I think that that most from what I understand, like certainly historians or like people who care about British history <laughs> in any way are sort of upset. They're upset like twofold. They're upset that people celebrate Guy Fox Night, and then they're upset that now all these bloody Americans are celebrating yeah. Guy Fox Night incorrectly. <laughs> it's just so that that is just so fascinating to me as like this real thing that happened that got co-opted by fandom mm. and yet like there's this real tension between you know what are you celebrating and then of course anonymous the the like the group of quasi terrorists for whatever i guess whatever they are anonymous also like uses that mask right and they do some good mask from the movie yeah yeah (laughs) so it's like this really weird partially historic partially fictional partially dystopic partially utopic it's like really weird how it's all this whole thing yeah but most people just share the gif on november 5th v for vendetta wasn't even that good a movie and it was kind of overrated as a comic 
Anyway, hot takes with Liz. <laughs> so, yeah. Fanish holidays. Yeah, I, I, I like them better in terms of the fan-driven celebration concept, like Padme and Captoberfest. Yeah, exactly. When you're celebrating with your friends and your hot you like you make up a holiday to to do so. That yes. is great. When yes. it becomes corporate. I absolutely agree with you that once once May the fourth is like something that you get emails yeah. from the way that you get Black Friday emails, then it becomes a problem. Yes. <laughs> uh fan sets did have a lot of uh sales on on first contact day and I was very tempted but they have not yet released their Laris and Shaban pins so I have to wait but they've just announced their Rin pin so that's your Andorian. I know I'm so excited. He can hang out with your cat pin and you can cry. I have and Sarek. I have, I have, I have <laughs> cat Sarek and Ginny Weasley. Oh that's nice. I actually <laughs> only the have only one. I only have the cat pin and I actually have two of her because I lost my first one so I ordered two more but... <laughs> Just that's smart. That's smart. Okay, I'm thinking ahead. In our Q and A episode for I think our fiftieth, you asked what my favorite piece of Star Trek merch that I owned was, and I said yeah. the San Diego Comic Con um, exclusive Admiral's pin that friend of the podcast Jules gave me. I lost it. It that's fell off so my jacket. Sad to me. It's so sad, and I feel like I've let my friendship with Jules down by losing it. I understand completely because when. Kelly Sue DeConnick was announced as the author of Captain Marvel and oh. they released pictures of Captain Marvel mm. her and her new d- design. So I went to WizCon, actually. I think it was my first WizCon. And I met Kelly Sue DeConnick and I brought my prototype Captain Marvel jacket. Ooh. And I was the first person in Captain Marvel cosplay that she met. And so she gave me these wings, like pilot's wings, that were a replica of the wasps, the women. Oh, that's so cool. Pilots. It, it was very cool. And I lost that and fell off of my jacket when I went to a yeah pins are fleeting and we pins cannot fleeting. get attached and you shouldn't wear pins that you don't want to lose mm. yeah but it's like it's it's a catch-22 right, because you want people to see them and you want like i want i was going to see kelly sudaconic again so i wanted yeah, yeah. to be wearing them for and, that moment and i really liked looking down and seeing my admiral pin I'm so sad, though, that I, I'm very sad that you don't have your Admiral pin. I really feel badly for what you. What really bums I... me out is that I checked eBay to see if I could just buy a replacement and keep it in a drawer safe and sound. No, no, no. They're, they're exclusive. So they're going for $200 on eBay. Yikes. Yeah. And now oh I feel extra bad because Jules gave it to me. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. But again, you still have that memory and you have that, that friendship. And yes. Like, that's better than the pin. And it's, own, it's just an irrational feeling that she would be mad at me for losing it. Like, that is not actually how she works. Don't be mad at me, Jules. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, this is a really long... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I I'll cut. 
this down a bit. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our personal social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing fathers and fatherhood in Star Trek.